Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey, we're going to go back in time and take a look at the life of the first mayor of Battle Creek, Elijah Pendle, and talk about his story and some of the people that were in his life. So come along and join me. So the first mayor of Battle Creek was elected in 1859. Prior to that, there were village presidents. But when the city of Battle Creek became official and was no longer a village of Battle Creek, they established the mayor and the alderman system as the form of government. And the first mayors were elected to one-year terms originally. And Elijah Pendle became the first elected mayor of Battle Creek. And he was a real prohibitionist. And he was known to enforce the law strongly against the serving and manufacture of alcohol in the community. And this was during a time when there was a statewide prohibition in Michigan in the 1850s. So he was an advocate and strong supporter of the law, which had been passed in 1855. He served as mayor during three different terms. And each time he was elected against strong opposition and sometimes ridicule for his position against alcohol. But even though he faced very strong opponents in the electoral process, he succeeded each time and never lost an election. So he served three terms as mayor, serving from 1859 to 1861 for his first two terms, and then he was elected to a third term in 1864. Elijah Pendle was a native of Batavia, New York, where he was born in 1809. And he came to Michigan in 1855 and settled in Battle Creek. Now, he was described as a stock buyer, which in those days referred to one who purchased cattle or livestock. And he had a partner in the business living out east. And that was how he made his money. Initially, he lived on West Main Street and Cass Street in a brick house. And then later he moved to, at the time, was open land, which is near Bidwell Street today. And he once owned about 40 acres near Bidwell Street and Prairie Avenue, which was all farmland back at the day when uh, he moved to the area. And he was a farmer most of his life. He would eventually pass away in December of 1876, a few days before Christmas, at the age of 66. Now, he was married to Mary Pendle, and Mary was a strong, temperance-minded woman. In fact, she would rally the women together and formed one of the earliest temperance movements in Battle Creek, and was credited for starting a lot of the women's temperance movements in this portion of the country. And she would get them all riled up and they'd go into pubs or bars that had alcohol and take the barrels and break them open and drag them out in the street and punch holes in them and that whole thing. And she was known for being quite vocal and deliberate in her efforts to curb the sale and use of alcohol in the community. And of course, this was during the Prohibition era of the state of Michigan 
This is before the national prohibition. The national prohibition law was passed in 1917 and ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by 1919 and became effective between 1920 to 1933. So this was in the mid-1800s that they had a prohibition law in Michigan for that time period. And Mary Pendle was quite the activist. And her husband being elected mayor, even though by some closely called elections, he had the support of the women's temperance movement at the time, as well as a lot of the male figures in the temperance movement, including Erastus Hussey, who ran the Underground Railroad. That's a whole different story. But those were the days of very active politics and strong partisanship in the community. His daughter, Mary V. Angel, who was still alive in 1916 when an article was written about her father, and she described him as when the ballots were counted and that the temperance movement knew that her father was elected, there would be great celebrations by all of the temperance folks. They would come to their home with torchlight processions and their bands, and there would be all kinds of rejoicing and celebrations. And some of the finest men in the community ran against her father, but he was elected every time that he ran. And she also recalled that the pre-Christmas season, which is often a time of happiness and rejoicing for nearly everyone, was a time of sadness for her because she always remembered that that was the time of year that her father had passed away. But Mayor Pendle was remembered for other things than just the temperance movement and the Prohibition era. He was a vigorous worker and he had a lot of energy for construction and activity within the community. And during that time, Battle Creek was establishing and building its own road system through the public improvement projects, adding roads within the community, and he would stop and pitch in. He would take the plow and start plowing the roads and grab a shovel and work alongside other people that were getting employed or just volunteering to help make the roads become established. And so he would work on cutting down the hills and the streets as they were being graded and help alongside the workers making the improvements in the years that was helping Battle Creek become a city. And he was remembered for establishing a lot of the groundwork that helped the city achieve a level of progressive growth by doing this type of projects and bringing the different wards of the Common Council, which all had the aldermen's elected from the different districts, to get them to work across their district lines as a unified group within the community to create and build the infrastructure of the community that was becoming a city now of Battle Creek. Now, Elijah Pendle at one time had been a member of the school board, and he was in charge of the building and grounds of the school that had been erected in 1850 at the corner of McCamley and Champion Streets. And it had been written about by Horace Greeley in some essays and articles. And so this school was there, and he was in charge of the grounds. It was described as a building that was above grade. However, it just had big embankments up along 
the sides of the building, and most of it was below grade. And Mr. Pendle deemed that the basement was unsanitary, apparently because it was flooding and it was uh, damp at different times of the year and it had poor air quality. And he wanted the building to be raised to the ground and a new one built on its site, basically because he considered the building to be unsafe and he didn't want the children of the community to be subjected to that. So there was a lot of opposition to tearing down the building because obviously they said, hey, we've got a building. Why do we want to spend money on another one? And essentially what Elijah did as the building and grounds officers, he began to carve away at the grade embankments of the building that was kind of hiding the problem and exposed the walls. And eventually the foundation became exposed that it was all uh, caving in and and in terrible condition and was about ready to collapse. And then that was able to force the new school building to be built. And so the old wooden building, which was not large enough at the time anyways, was eventually torn down and a new brick building was erected on the site. Now, during his last term as mayor, and as I mentioned before, the terms of mayor were elected for one-year terms, And this was the last year he served in 1864. Some of the men that were elected to serve with Mayor Pendle didn't agree with him on his law enforcement views of the alcohol. And he was very strong on enforcement against the contamination of liquor within the community. And a lot of that was probably also mirrored by Mary Pendle, his wife, And so these men that were elected to serve with him had disagreements, and probably a lot of it were misunderstandings between the two. But they felt deeply about their position, and they would resign from office during that term. But Elijah's third term was a lot different than the first two terms in terms of what was happening in the battle of prohibition in the state of Michigan. For example, the ironclad law that had been passed as a prohibition law in 1855 in Michigan was a similar law that had been passed in 12 other northern states that had instituted statewide prohibition. But by the 1860s and 1870s, every state that had adopted the prohibition laws had begun the process of repealing those laws. So in 1864, when Elijah Pendle gets elected for his third term, it's not surprising that there were people that were elected along with him that started having differing views because the people that favored alcohol were starting to gain some headway on a statewide level, and Michigan was probably in the process of repealing that statewide law during that time. So it's not surprising that Elijah had some opposition and protest to some of his ideas concerning prohibition and temperance by 1864 that was different than when he first took office in 1859 and 1860, serving those first two terms. And per some of the history on the state of Michigan laws that I researched, by 1875, the state of Michigan had gotten rid of the prohibition law and replaced it with a statewide tax on intoxicating liquors, 
which required anybody who purchased the liquor to pay an a-, a tax and anybody who sold it to pay an annual tax. So there was a personal tax on the consumption as well as at the wholesale level when you sold alcohol. And then licensing started to come into play after that. And it wasn't until the actual nationwide prohibition hit again that Michigan became a dry state during the prohibition years on the national level. Some interesting history on the 1855 ironclad prohibition law that was passed in the state legislature of Michigan. In the 1850, prohibitionists won the legislative battle in Michigan, and the state ratified a new constitution that explicitly forbade the granting of licenses for the sale of intoxicating liquors. And in this regard, Michigan became a pioneer. It was the first state to enact a statewide ban on liquor licenses. Ironically, however, the legislature failed to enact provisions banning the sale of intoxicating liquors without a license. So as a result, liquor sales became largely unregulated in Michigan. Michigan, creating an even greater problem than existed before they made the constitutional amendment. So you had all of these unlicensed places opening up boldly taverns and pubs and small places where they made and manufactured alcohol. And because it was unlicensed, many communities just ignored the law that the state of Michigan had passed and overlooked the distilleries and things that had been going on during that time uh, because they didn't agree with it. And so they said, well, you know, they're not trying to license it. So it was just a very crazy time that first time that the state of Michigan tried to enact a prohibition law. And this whole thing would eventually change. So enforcement only began to take hold when Individual communities like Battle Creek started to form their own temperance groups or were driven by temperance-minded people to enforce the laws. And this was right in the middle of the time period of the first two terms of Elijah Pendle. So Elijah Pendle was remembered by the older community as being very strong on law enforcement, but also being very big about building up the infrastructure of the community and using the resources that the community had to build and grade new roads, which he could see the vision would also establish the city and build it up and make it more of a uh, developed city over time, as roads are usually the first thing that you need in order to be able to build houses so you can bring in equipment and establish houses and have ways of commuting back and forth and so forth. So roads were a big, important issue within his terms as mayor the first three years he was elected. In addition to his passion against the use of alcohol within the community and his enforcement of it because of the prohibition law, statewide prohibition law in Michigan at the time. And the roots of the temperance movement is hard to actually pin down when it actually started. It's often stated that the Catholic temperance movement started in 1838 when an Irish priest, Theobald Matthew, established the Teetotal Abstinence Society that year. And he organized the mass working class movement, which was sort of a universal suffrage for men. And there were even charts painted and posters made about the temperance movement 
that were uh, published within the community and posted around town so people could see so that when you took a drink of alcohol all the way up to being a regular drunk to the point where alcohol took over your life and destroyed it and ultimately ended in your suicide down at the end of the uh the chart that they showed there and it's quite an interesting little chart i'll put a link to that in the description if you want to check it out it was called drunkard's progress and it was a publication printed in 1846 by a man named nathaniel courier and it showed the moderate drinking leads to total disaster step by step it's kind of an interesting little uh poster to look at and there's a lot of truth to it and a lot of uh, exaggeration as well but it's uh, an interesting note that this dated back to 1846 but the temperance movement is also believed to have begun in different parts of the world as early as the 1830s and of course in the united states the nationwide prohibition took a larger scale Uh, when the 18th Amendment, which illegalized the manufacture, transportation, and sale of alcohol, and it was passed by the U.S. Congress in 1917 and ratified by three-quarters of the nation's states in 1919, which made it a constitutional law, which existed between 1920 to 1933, and that is generally referred to as the Prohibition Era in the United States. So Elijah Pendle was one of the many temperance movement people, as well as Mary Pendle, in the years that temperance was beginning to take a foothold across the nation in various states and communities, and some were more temperance-friendly than others. And, And of course, Michigan had a statewide prohibition law during the time that Elijah Pendle was mayor of Battle Creek in his first term. And it's interesting that Elijah Pendle had only been a resident of Battle Creek for four years when he was elected as the first mayor. And um, that was a lot due to his involvement with the temperance movement and the greater percentage, I suppose, of the people of Battle Creek that uh, were of that same mindset during that time. Because you would have thought that the first mayor of Battle Creek would have been someone that had been a long-time resident of maybe over a decade or two decades before, or somebody even born in the community might have had a greater edge in that election. But that was not the case during that time when he was elected as the first mayor and chosen to serve the community. And so when he passed away, his funeral was attended by what the newspapers at the time described as a great concourse of citizens and the city flags all hung at half-mast. Services were held in the old Methodist church, which once stood on the site where the new Methodist church stands today. And Mayor Pendle had been a member of the Methodist church and was active in building up that church within the community. But the church at the time was not large enough to hold the amount of people that wanted to come to the funeral. So the common council passed a resolution setting forth his value to the community and the loss to Battle Creek that had been suffered by his death. And they told of his life and his upright and honest citizenry in the community. And the resolutions were drawn up by Erastus Hussey and other members of the Common Council at the time. Now, Elijah and Mary had six children, 
Mary Pendle would become Mary Angel, and she remained in the Battle Creek area. One of their sons, Otto, also remained in the Battle Creek area. And another son named James Pendle moved out to Vermontville. There was also Thaddeus Pendle, and there was one of his sons, Edgar Pendle, that died at the young age of 17 around the close of his second term as mayor. So that may have had an impact on him, too. And then he also had Cortez Pissarro Pendle, which was one of his daughters. So those were the six children of uh, Elijah and Mary Pendle. I always find it interesting to look back at the first mayor or first president of a village when referring to history of a community because it gives you an insight into the politics of the day what was important to the people and the citizenry at that time, and what was going on in terms of the growth of the community. It just offers a very unique insight, and I love the Victorian era. And so when uh, I was able to find the information I did on Elijah Pendle, which came from a 1916 article published in the Evening News, a publication at the time, that came out on New Year's Day of 1916. And that edition of the evening news had a lot of great history stories about the Battle Creek community and the origins of different aspects of the community. And this is one of the stories within that edition that I decided to make a podcast. Plus, I've been to Elijah Pendle's gravesite, filmed it in, included some of his story in my Oak Hill video series. And um, I'll put the link to that video in the description. And I've been fascinated with the early mayors of Battle Creek. And at some point, I'll probably do a lot more on some of the early mayors of Battle Creek just to kind of get an idea of who they were and what they contributed to the community because it's just a, a fascinating subject to me. But I hope you enjoyed today's episode just looking back at the life of Elijah Pendle and his wife and his family and the people that served around him. And if you look at the list of aldermen that were serving on the common council when he was mayor, it was quite an interesting list of people because a lot of them I've referred to in other parts of my podcast. There was a Leonidas Dibble. There was a man by the name of F.M. Sanderson. Edward Cox, who was one of the first medical doctors in the community. Uh, Erastus Hussey, who ran the Underground Railroad. Charles Mason, and Victory P. Collier, who went on to found the first interurban car system, which was pulled by horses along rails throughout the community. So those are just some of the men. And there's another, a couple other ones on here I have not mentioned before, William Skinner and Samuel Stewart. And um, I'll have to look into more of their stories. But there were prominent men in the community serving in those different wards. And it's just uh, kind of an interesting history to look back at the early days of the first mayor of Battle Creek when it officially became chartered as a city. So if you like today's episode, please take some time to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. Leave me a comment. Tell me what you thought. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I am always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you'd like to support the work that I'm doing here, there is a link on 
my website, michaeldelaware.com, where you can actually uh, make a donation or a monthly donation, reoccurring donation on your support for the channel. You could donate $1 a month or something like that. And I have a few people that do that to help uh, offset some of the cost I have involved in producing this podcast. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. <laughs>